Good morning. Welcome to Washbury Road. We're in the series called Counterculture. And so Trent kicked it off last week. And then, uh, so it's my opportunity to speak. And I noticed that whenever it seems like it deals with uh, money or something, Trent gives that lesson to me. I don't know what that's about. Uh, but, uh, but I'm glad to speak on this today. Talk, we're talking about where rich and poor collide. Our culture really doesn't know what to do with our wealth. I mean, if you don't understand that by now, just look at how much we waste, you know, and, uh, or I tell you what else, I mean, if we all want to get convicted right from the beginning, just go look in your closet, right? I mean, we've got a, a, a ton of stuff. Now don't go home and get all your junk stuff and bring it up here, by the way. This is, you know, it's not that kind of lesson. All right, but we do want to talk about what it means because uh, when we talk about money, uh, it's like one man said, money talks, I'll not deny, I heard it once, it said goodbye. (laughs) Now, is that the way your money goes? Sometimes that's kind of the way uh, money goes. Who really are the rich and who really are the poor and what is our responsibility to each one? And what does it mean when we become Christians and how is our culture and how is our context different way of looking at wealth and poverty than the world does? Or do we look at at it the same way? And so that's some of the things we're going to talk about a little bit today. The average American lives on a little bit more than $90 a day. The uh, 1 billion people globally live on less than $1 a day. 40% 40% of the earth's population live on less than $2 a day. So any time in the global conversation someone says, talking about the rich, they're thinking of you and me. You see, when they think, think rich, they think American. That's what they automatically think. And so while we kind of, uh, uh, and, and look, I understand I understand it's relative in terms of our needs, and, and if, if your light bill got cut off this week, or your water, and you're in a bind, and I know it doesn't do you any good to know that the majority of the world out there doesn't have a dollar a day. I, that, that doesn't fix your problem. I understand that. But at the same time, there does need to be a consciousness of what we have, and who we are, and what God expects us to do. Look, our goal is to love God, love others, and share Jesus. That's our goal. We say that in a couple of different ways. Sometimes we say that we want to share the greatest message in the spirit of the greatest command. Those two things are important, okay? Guys, let's pick that slide up there, all right? Hang with me. There you go. I know you may have been through this once and got sleepy the first time, so hang in there with me, all right? Love God, love others, share Jesus. Now look, this does change how we approach the poor and the rich. And it's going to be different than how the world does it, and it's going to be different than how our culture uh, does it around us. Look, our work is a God-given gift. One of the ways God chooses to help the poor of the world is by the responsibility we have as workers. Now, people in the world see work most a lot of times as a negative thing and can't wait till Friday to get the check, right? And can't wait till down, years down the road where I can I can get that uh, uh, final check and get on retirement, which is interesting. You know, I mean, I'm I'm for people making enough money that they don't have to work anymore; they can just work for the Lord full time. But work won't go away, right? Retirement, I don't think, is a Bible 
word anywhere. I hadn't seen it in there. It might be. But, but the idea of working started from the creation. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden and says to work it and take care of it. So work existed before sin made an impact on the world. Got it? We don't work as a result of somehow or another because of the sinfulness of the world. We, and now that makes work harder because all of a sudden now there's thorns and there's thistles and there's weeds to deal with and there's those kind of things that where sin impacted creation. But work was way before that took place. God intended us to take care of things. And Colossians, Paul says, that kind of work ought to be. Look, in all, the, in all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you are doing it for the Lord, not for people. Remember that you'll receive your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we work at our jobs with all of our heart. We work because we have integrity, we have the character of Christ, and we have responsibility. That's, we don't take tools home that don't belong to us from work. If we say we're going to give an hour, then we give an hour. And we become people of character because when, when God changed our lives, that changed the character of our heart. But look, the purpose of work wasn't just to provide for our families. It's to provide for other people, too, who have a difficult time. God's always had uh, that sensitive heart toward the poor of the world, and we do too. But not only do we look at work a little different than the world, we look at our wealth different than the world does. Wealth is is given with a purpose. It has a God-given purpose. Now, he says in this, command those who are rich. Now, when we say rich, we immediately think of somebody that has more than we do, Right? Right? I began to wonder if you were out there. It's kind of like those two guys that grew up together sitting around talking. One of them said, Joe, said, me and you have been best friends all of our lives. He said, uh, if you had 5,000 acres of land, would you give me half? And he said, oh, you know we're best friends. I would give you half if, we had, if I had 5,000. He said, Joe, if you had $2 million, would you give me half? Oh, we've been best friends for years. I'd give you half. I'd give you a million dollars if I had to. He said, Joe, if you had two hogs, would you give me one? He said, no, wait a minute. You know i got two hogs. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is? We're willing to give what we don't have. What we have to do is understand how to give what we do have. So he commands us, the rich, that's us, in this room, in this present world, not to be arrogant or put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put uh, their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of of the life that is truly life. So the encouragement is this with all of us, with what we have. It's easy to say we give what we don't have. We've got to learn to give what we do have. And that's going to be contrary to how the world functions. They're going to look, us up, look at us and say, you mean you're giving money away? Why aren't you building things? Why aren't you saving up for yourself? Why aren't you taking care of it? Because the world doesn't think like that. But Christians do. And so it goes against our culture, really, because we live in a culture that says 
climb to the top, get all you can. And, make, and look, by the way, the Bible nowhere tells people who are wealthy to quit making money. No, but the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Matter of fact, I want you to make more money. Make it all you get and give all you give all you make. Make all you get. You know, I don't. The, the, the God is saying, "Look, I'll bless you." He's blessed a lot of us here with wealth, right? And so, look in that. It's not about how much we get. It's not about how much we have. It's about our heart and attitude and making sure our character stays straight in terms of what we do with what we have. So, our wealth does have a purpose, but. Let me say one more thing about the wealth before I move on. Were you one of those kids that uh, when you were had your plate full at the house, and your mama said, clean your plate, and, uh, you know, you wasn't cleaning it, and then they would tell you that, so there's, there's all these kids over in some other country, right? All these kids in China starving to death, and you're leaving your plate full. And you just wanted to say, box it up and send it to them. I mean, right? I mean, I mean, you wouldn't say that, but that's kind of the feeling you get. I mean, it's like, come on. Look, guilt, even at best, when I see those pictures on the TV of kids in terrible situations around the world, my heart's moved, isn't yours? And that guilt maybe make us do something. But look, it's always temporary when that happens. From a worldly point of view. It's always temporary. God doesn't ask us to give like that. We must give not to decrease guilt, but to increase glory to God. Got it? We don't give to decrease guilt. We give to increase God's glory. So when we give to, to, to orphans around halfway around the world, we're, we're helping them physically and creating opportunity. But God gets the glory for that. He gets the glory for it. If we get to be a part of it, that's exciting. And so I can keep doing that. I can be consistent. And I can do that over the long haul because God's getting glory and a lot of good things are happening. But guilt is very, very temporary and it, it will give up on that. I'm not, I, God's not asking us to to give just to decrease the guilt feeling in our life, but for Him to get glory. Because when a church rises to the needs of people and the world sees that happen, the church builds credibility, opportunities to share the gospel take place, people's physical needs get taken, uh, take, uh, taken care of, and the church is doing what it needs to be doing. Well, what about wisdom and how we give help? Now, hang, hang in here with me on this one, okay? I thought about this lesson a lot, and I thought, you know, I'm probably going to make people who are wealthy mad, and then they'll be okay. And then I'll make people who are poor mad, and hopefully they'll be okay at the end. But uh, I don't know, if Bill, if it was you or whoever, somebody that taught us one time said, you know, when you preach, you ought to make them mad, glad, or sad. I'd rather be on the glad side if we can, all right? But I also want to challenge us. Look, help ought to take place, just like the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Uh, You see a need on your journey, and you recognize it, and you meet someone's need. That's that compassionate heart that ought to naturally be in people who have the character of Christ. That just ought to be a part of who we are. 
okay? Uh, and so we look at that and we give and we help. But we also need to learn to help each other constructively as we live together. See, helping the poor is about sharing life, not wealth. And that's much more difficult to do, yet it's much more like Jesus. To share life, not just money. Now, let me go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and, and give you the principle of this out of a situation Paul, uh, Paul tells Timothy to handle when he's handling some needy folks, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 5. This isn't on the screen, so you'll have to actually open up your Bible or look at your iPhone or whatever, okay? He addresses some advice about taking care of widows. And he says this, verse five of, I mean verse three of chapter five, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for the younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry, thus they bring judgment on themselves because they've broken their pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things that ought not they, uh, they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who has a belie- uh, uh, who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them, and not let the church be burdened by them, so the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, let me break that down for you. There's a way to help. And when we have some folks that are in need, we figure out a way to help them. We take up a contribution once a month here for our own people, our own members who get in a bind or get by. It's not a contribution for the poor because we're not poor. For the most part, we're not poor. It's a contribution to help us who are in a bind. It's a burden-bearing thing because all of a sudden somebody loses a job or all of a sudden somebody comes down with a diagnosis medically and they're all of a sudden out of work and they're going here. And, and while they may not be poor in standards of where they live or how they're working right now, they're in a bind. So we bear each other's burdens, okay? I think that's a better description of what we do. But he says here there's a way to help people. These widows, he says, you do this. First of all, you teach people within the family of God that family takes care of family. Got it? Hang on. 
So when you walk into my office and say, Mike, the church needs to help me, I'm going to listen to your financial need. And we all are up there. But one of the questions I'm going to say to you pretty quick is, do you have family? Do you have family here? Do you have family that claim to be Christians? You're in this thing alone. And if you if you say, yeah, but I've got a I got a brother I can't get along with. We've we've not talked in years. I've got a mom that you know she's out there. My next my next conversation is going to be, okay, how can we make those relationships right? Because that's greater need than your money. Got it? That's a greater need. Because you fix those relationships, you'll have help when the time comes that you and I need help. We'll have it from our own family and won't be a burden on the church. That's what he says there. Now that's kind of hard for us to swallow. And here's why. Because in our culture, this is what's counterculture to us in America especially, we have developed, our, our, uh, we have developed a culture that says, I go to this or, uh, or authority institute, uh, institute and I get help. I get my food stamps here, get my disability check here, I get this uh, handout here, I get this here, and the church becomes just another uh, uh, authority or institution. Well, when I can't get everything I want from there, I go to the church and I get that there. And we're not going to act like that anymore. Because you and I are not entitled to be taken care of by our government. I appreciate what the government does. I'm glad that there's help that takes place there. I think one of, the, uh, one of the reasons God's patient with our nation probably is because we fed so many millions around the world as it is. That may be the only thing holding judgment back. I don't know. But I know as God's family, listen now, as God's family, we're going to relearn and have the culture that God says to create. So our family takes care of each other. That means we have to learn to repair family relationships that have been messed up. And that's bigger than your electric bill. Got it? It's bigger than that. And don't go around begging all the brothers individually around here for money. That's not right. That's selfish. And we've got to teach our people how to help each other in the right way. We, we, it's really difficult. Because I'll tell you, our culture has trained us to be like that. So when we convert people out of that, that's going to be their automatic default until we take and get involved. Now, here's the difference. We get involved in their life. We've got to share life. That means it's going to be harder for me because it's much easier for me to hand them a $20 bill and send them down the road, Right? It's much more difficult for me to say, okay, how's your relationship with there? That's messed up. Well, look, how can we get that right? Here's something you can do. Go talk to them. Tell me how that goes. And me sit down with some scriptures and study and say, look, let's, let's try to fix that. Let's try to convert those family members. Let's try to get them back on the right road. And those kinds of conversations are much more difficult and time-consuming. But we want to share life, not wealth. And that's hard to do sometimes. And look, some of you, you get hit up all the time. And I'm sorry you do. You send them to the church leadership. You let us bear the burden of figuring out how to wisely help people. 
because there's a constructive way to do this. He lays it out in this particular case in Timothy with with us. But look, we need to sit down and help people because here's what we do now. Someone comes to us more than two or three times with the same bill. Can't pay the electric, can't pay the electric, can't pay the electric. Something's happening, right? Now, I may not know what that is. It may be totally legitimate, and we're helping. Look, we're about helping people. Believe me. But maybe what needs to happen is, and we've done this, is this, I'll tell you what, bring all your bills in. We're going to set you down with this financial counselor. We're going to go through them all, and we're going to help you figure out how to manage your wealth. Because you've got some stuff, and there may be a better way to do this. And you've never been taught. And we've helped people cut up credit cards, and we've helped people get out of debt, and we've helped people get back into living life the way that God wants them to live. Because that's a, that's, a, that's a burden, and not only is it a burden on you, it becomes a burden on the church. We want to help you live life successfully. Does that make sense? So this thing, but look, the world doesn't care about you. They'll, they'll give you a handout in a minute and get you out of the way. But we can't live like the world. We're counterculture to the world. Now, we start digging into someone's life, and they say, wait a minute, I don't want you digging into my life. You know what? There's not a lot I can do about that then. It is a volunteer army. But if we want to handle our wealth and our efforts to those in need in our church family and in our community... We need to do it in the wisest way possible. And I don't know of a church in town, and I've talked with a lot of pastors who don't struggle with this, what to do with everybody that comes to my door every week wanting money and help and, pay, and bills paid. And we've talked about, well, let's have some kind of communication with everybody, and we've tried that. We've tried to find out who's helped who. We've tried all those kinds of things. But I'm telling you, Wealthy people, quit asking for a handout. Look for a job and take the one that comes. Don't sit around waiting. I already guess, well, I'm not going to take that job. I make more, I make more sitting around drawing unemployment than I do on the, hey, look, get your character right and take the job. I'll help you if you take the job. Now, what's sad about this is everybody sitting out there who really has a need and you were going to come tomorrow morning or just saying, ooh, can I cancel that appointment? <laughs> but don't be afraid. It's okay. We're family. We're just going to talk out loud about stuff and do the best we can. We don't always, I don't always do the best, but we're going to try. We're going to try to be wise in how we help. All right, enough of that. The last thing we need to do is to acknowledge the word that we have for people. And this really is about sharing life. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim what? Good news to the poor. They need good news. They need the same good news that changed my poor life and my heart. He said, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the, of the sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what we're about doing. We, look, our goal is to love God, love people, and share Jesus. And so on that journey, we intersect with people at different situations in life. Jesus did not feed all the poor when He was on earth, nor did He heal all the sick, by the way. 
But as he ran, came across them in his journey to the cross, he met their needs. Because look, he looked out over them and he was moved with compassion. And we, don't all, we always want to be people who have a heart of compassion for the hurting in life. I never want us to be cold to those that are hurting. We always have to have that heart. The wise man said in Proverbs that if you turn your ear away from those that are impoverished and those that are hurting, then God won't hear your voice when you go to Him. So we need to always have that heart of compassion toward those that are hurting around us. But that's not our goal. Remember Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you? I'm kind of like one prayer. I just didn't know it was going to be the same ones over and over. You know, it's kind of like that sometimes. But the poor you always have. It's not about settling poverty. It's about giving them the word that will settle their sin problem. We have good news to proclaim. We have a word from the Lord. Because His grace was lavished on us when we deserve to die. We are only saved by the grace of God which makes us people who should be appreciative in offering grace to others. And in offering grace, we offer them a word about this man named Jesus who can change where they spend eternity. Not only will he help you have life here, John 10, 10, but he'll help you have a life abundantly beyond this world. And what I want most of all is not one person to walk out of this room today doubting whether they're right with God or not. We are wealthy by the very fact we heard the name of Jesus glorified in song and spoke about today. We have heard the greatest news in the world. The man called Jesus who died for my sins when I didn't care. Whose body went in the ground and came up out of that ground to give me hope my body's coming out too. Death is not the end. And he went back to heaven to help me every day, including in my poverty or in my riches, how to live for him, and then looking forward to the day when he comes again to take me home. That's the greatest news in the world, and we want to get that to the rich and poor alike because we all have that need to have Jesus be the Savior of our life. In 1883, an American poet, Emma Lazarus, wrote a sonnet to raise money for the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. When it was mounted, they put some of those words up, and you'll be familiar with parts of this sonnet. went like this. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And those words became prophetic as millions of immigrants from countries entered the United States and worked and built a great nation. And they came through Ellis Island there from 1892 to 1934 and built this great nation. But as great as that is, we, our message is even stronger. Bring me, bring the church, your poor, your homeless, your tempest-tossed, your needy, the huddled masses, those that yearn to breathe free because we have a message of freedom through the one called 
Jesus Christ. And if you want in on that freedom, you have opportunity to do that today. While together we stand and sing.